spent two decades in Oklahoma and never realized this place was here. So home for the weekend, had to come check it out. Daughter came out to visit her mom for her birthday, and this was one of the places that she wanted to see. I chuckled because uh, I couldn't really think why would there be a reason to have a museum. I expected it to be kind of boring and just pictures of birds. But Same here. Uh, there's a lot of very good information here. Just this extensive interplay between military to this whole subculture and how many different types and colors. Thousands of breeds and how beautiful so some of them are. It's kind of mind-boggling and I understand now why there's a whole museum for pigeons. Hi there, I'm Rachel Hopkin and this is KGOU's How Curious. And there is indeed a whole museum for pigeons, including a pigeon library, and it's right here in Oklahoma City. And it's called, unsurprisingly, the American Pigeon Museum and Library. Lauren Gandera is the museum's associate curator. The museum's purpose is to teach the general public about how important they are in history and fun for a sport that doesn't actually hurt animals. They just naturally fly home and share the love of pigeons. So how did the museum get started, do you know? So it started in the early 70s, put together by a group of board members, and it only had information about racing pigeons in it. And so they then decided to include all pigeons. The board chose to base the museum here because of OKC's central location. Then that broadening in focus that Lauren just mentioned coincided with the museum's 2014 move to a new building right next to the old one in the city's Adventure District. Its new home was purpose-built and has three different wings, no pun intended. One is dedicated to fancy pigeons, incredible creatures that look nothing like your typical greyish city pigeons. Another is devoted to the sport of pigeon racing, and the middle section is all about pigeon history through the ages, and that's where I started. Rebecca Seiler was working at the museum on the day I visited and she showed me around. She told me that the earliest records of pigeons date back to around 3000 BC and the ancient Egyptians. Later, the bird became crucial to Julius Caesar's empire-building ambitions. He had vast armies that relied on pigeons as their most dependable means of communication. And they were using them back in ancient Greek times. Oh my goodness, I'm seeing here, the ancient Greeks adopted pigeons as a means to bring the results of the early Olympics back to the athletes' hometowns. Mm -hmm. Yes, they've just been entwined through history over the years. This is because the pigeon has an almost preternatural ability to find its way home, even when hundreds of miles away from its base. Alberto Gandara has been around pigeons all his life and is a long-time volunteer at the museum. I asked him how the bird's able to do this. That's not fully understood. They have an idea. It's a combination of the Earth's magnetic field, the sun's position, and now we know their olfactory senses come into play, so they're smelling also. But we don't fully understand that. During the two world wars, pigeons were often dropped by parachute over enemy lines so that the soldiers on the ground could use them to send messages back home. The enemy knew they were delivering messages and they were shooting at them. And you know, there's famous birds who came home missing legs and eyes and still delivered messages that saved thousands and thousands of troops. Must tell them to stop this, Jeremy. You can do it. Uh, Cherami, they made a movie about, was a very famous bird that actually had its foot shot carrying the message and the bird's tendon held the, the uh, message on and delivered it. Hey, what's happening to you, little buddy? The film's called The Lost Battalion. Colonel, message. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. 
Cease fire! Cease fire! That is an order! All of these message-delivering avian phenomena discussed so far come under the broad category of racing pigeons. In pigeon racing, competing birds are taken to a specific location and released altogether. Whichever pigeon arrives home in the quickest time wins. Of course, there's no finish line per se because each pigeon returns to its own home and calculations are made accordingly. In the past, specially made clock mechanisms were used. Today, everything is done electronically using an online scoreboard. For those involved in high-level competitions and breeding, it can involve huge amounts of money. A few years ago, one very well-bred bird sold at auction for almost $2 million. But most pigeon racing takes place at a local level, where the thrill of winning is generally the biggest prize. Alberto was introduced to the sport by his father. Local pigeon club racing, everyone has their own lot, their own pigeons. You're breeding your own babies. Then you meet as a club. We ship the birds between 100 and 600 miles overnight. They release them and by noon or the afternoon, they're back home. Does it involve a lot of training? So the bird homes naturally. There's a lot of conditioning. So when they're young, we let them out. They start exercising, memorizing where they live, flying in circles, you know, mapping it out. You start in small increments, two miles, 10 miles, get out to 100 miles eventually and start racing them. And they don't know they're racing, so they're just the equivalent of speed walking home to get a drink see their girlfriend, grab a meal. They have girlfriends? They have girlfriends and boyfriends, and sometimes we use that to motivate them a little bit. You know, we may keep the partner away the whole week, and then the day before the race, let him see his partner, but not touch his partner. And then he goes to the race, and she's waiting for him when he gets home. So stirring a pigeon's desire is one tactic. Provoking jealousy is another. So they have their own little boxes, and you can put another male in that male's box. Let him see that male with his mate, and then you send him off to the race, and he just comes home a little bit quicker. He's like, I've got to get back before that guy gets my girl. Steals my girlfriend. (laughs) And it happens both ways, both sexes. The hens are easier to motivate with eggs, so sometimes we put fake eggs on them, and they're coming home to get back on their eggs. Is it always male-female partnering, or are there gay pigeons? There are definitely gay pigeons. Some people only race lesbian pigeons. They claim that they're unbeatable, and... They usually are in long-distance hard races. And also, this is kind of a joke, but the thing with pigeons mating for life, I've walked into many pigeon scenarios that do not fit the bill. Are we talking menage a trois? Yeah, I've walked into more than one of those. (laughs) (laughs) The museum's funding, mission, and overall direction is overseen by its board members, but its day-to-day running is down to its associate curator, Lauren Gandra, along with a lot of help from Alberto Gandara. And yes, the pair are married. In fact, it was because of Alberto that Lauren stepped up a few years ago when the museum's previous curator moved away. The couple have been together for 13 years, and ironically, they met during pretty much the only period in Alberto's life when he did not have pigeons. It wasn't until several years later that he revealed to Lauren how important the bird was to him. Do you think... You could have stayed together if she hadn't got on board with the pigeons. Well, she would have had to have been fine with them to some degree because I would have had pigeons. I don't see a scenario where I didn't have pigeons. So, you know, we would have been fine if she wasn't working at the pigeon museum. But uh, she would have been have to have been okay with my few pigeons, you know, in the backyard or wherever we ended up. <laughs> he explains it as once you 
know about pigeons and you're into them, then that's all you think about. All you want to do is go out and handle your pigeons. I didn't know that it was such an involved sport, but it's been way more interesting than I than I basically could have imagined. I didn't know that the pigeons were as smart as they are, and I didn't know anything about the show birds. There's so many different types of fancy pigeons, so I had no idea. So I was pleasantly surprised. Fancy pigeons are the other main focus of the museum. There's tons of information about the different breeds and the people who care for them inside. Then outside, if the weather's good, you could actually meet some of them in real life. Stick your hand in there, it doesn't hurt. Are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> That's the sound of a pigeon wing hitting my hand. They just all have a unique personality. Slappy is just your grumpy grandma or grandpa. You know? But he's, he's a Modena. He's big. So he's probably like third biggest breed. Once Slappy was out of his cage, he perched on top of it. We leave him up there, you know, to show people he's not in danger of obviously flying too far. He looks too fat to fly very far. Yeah, it'd be a, a straight and downward trajectory <laughs> if he... So he's a very big pigeon with a big puffed up chest, kind of tan and black tipped wings. And he's, oh, he's got that kind of shiny green on yeah, the, the top, top the of the head. the iridescence, yeah. Oh, I want him. <laughs> and we have a, someone who lives in Oklahoma who has one as a pet and she brings him in. He's completely tame. I don't, I'm not sure he knows he's a pigeon even, and he has a leash and comes when she calls him, and he looks at these pigeons like they're some inferior animal. Yeah, can you just hold that while I take a few pigeons? Take a few pigeons. Pigeon pictures. <laughs> One spectacular Bayesian white bird was crying out to be photographed. Alberta told me that she was a Jacobin pigeon and that her name was Lady Gaga. She had this enormous ruff of feathers around her neck and looked like she was dressed up for a very fancy ball. The breed looks like it was designed on a piece of paper by a, a fashion designer or something. And you're welcome to hold her. Great. She's easy to catch because she can't see. So instead of her ruff kind of being down so that her head can nestle on it, the ruff basically hides all of her head. So her vision is completely cut off, except for straightforward. And she's fabulous. She's this is amazing. A beautiful bird. In all, I was introduced to 12 of these fancy pigeons, each a different breed, each dramatically unlike in appearance, and each one simply a joy to behold. 11 of them are on loan to the museum. However, the 12th belongs to Alberto and Lauren's five-year-old son, Henry. He told me that he currently has 31 pigeons. What do you do with them? I, I like to hold them. I think probably because it feels comfortable and I love them. Do you have a favorite pigeon? Gerbil. And Gerbil's a fan tail. It needs the color of dun. Color of dun? Yeah. That's, that's a color dun. really great word. Henry wasn't able to take me to meet Gerbil himself because he had a birthday party to go to. So Alberto introduced us instead. Gerbil was indeed the color of dun and had a distinctive large round fan of a tail. How did he get to come by this one? I'm a homer guy, and we don't tend to mix with the fancy guys and vice versa, but the fancy club in Oklahoma did an exhibition out here in the front, and they were selling birds to each other and trading. Henry fell in love with that bird and had to have him. Oh, come here. Gerbil, the pigeon. Yes, why call gerbil? I guess it was that you'd was have to ask. Name. Yeah, you'd have to ask a five-year-old. <laughs> so this one's head is actually tilted back because his chest is so huge. I don't know, it looks like he's got one massively huge double chin. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he's walking around, his face isn't going forward, it's looking up. 
I just can't believe how great these pigeons are. They're absolutely amazing. As I'm sure you can tell, I thoroughly enjoyed my visit to the American Pigeon Museum and Library. And you can find pictures of some of its incredible birds, plus a link to the museum's website on our webpage. Just Google KGOU and How Curious. How Curious is a production of KGOU Public Radio. It's produced by me, Rachel Hopkin. The editor is Logan Layden, and David Gray composed our theme music. And please, if you have an Oklahoma question or an idea for something that How Curious might cover, email us at curious at kgou.org. <laughs>